You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. It just occurred to me that I can listen to music and do the podcast. That's how, like, this has become. You know, it's just kind of doing everything on autopilot. Um, but the music was a little loud, and I couldn't hear the intro, <laughs> so I'm trying to play with the... I'm like, oops, I missed the thing I'm supposed to say, and then I forgot what I was supposed to say, so I had to mute the music. But I'm going to go ahead and turn that up a little bit again. All right, so uh, that's very loud. So I've been promising that we would talk about the Bears, and then I keep getting off on tangents. So we're not talking about a single thing until we cover the Bears. If we f- conclude, we can move on. But I don't care if uh, the Packers bring in Kanye West to be a running back. We're not talking about anything else. We're talking about the Chicago Bears today. And because I've been mentioning that I would talk about um, listening to Corey Taylor, by the way, um, I mentioned that I would talk about Justin Fields. I want to do that first because I know there are Bears fans, I promise the two, that probably don't want to listen to a whole podcast. Um, although it's about the Bears, so maybe you will. But I want to lay it out there because it's funny. I, I did the, uh, remember I did that show where the guy you know, got the lecture or whatever. I did it again this week. And it's just it's just very clear. It's not even just Bears fans. Like I, I am in a very small minority of people. In fact, I don't know a single other person that agrees with me about Justin Fields. And he had made the comment about, uh, well, you know, it's good to have hot takes or whatever. And I'm like, it's not a hot take. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. But it's um, for that reason, I'm going to lay out a thorough argument against Justin Fields being a really good quarterback. And, and one quick caveat before we dive in. There's, there's two big overarching themes here. Okay, number one, when I say he is a really bad quarterback, that does not mean the same thing as he will never be a good quarterback. Just so we're clear how words work. All right. I've used this caveat a billion times. I've done it with Trubisky and I will do it with Justin Fields. It's the exact same thing. He is garbage. That doesn't mean he won't be good in the future. The second overarching theme 
There is such an unbelievable obsession with rushing quarterbacks. It's insane to me how much everybody loves. They would much rather have, and by they I just mean the NFL world, media, fandom in general, rushing quarterbacks than anything else in the world. And I don't understand it. This is why I'm all by myself. Because Justin Fields runs for like 150 yards, and I'm like, yeah, but he still had a bad day. And everyone's like, what? He ran all over the place. He ran, he ran, he ran, he ran. I'm sorry, is he a running back? Is he a running back? Anybody, is he a running back? I saw somebody, it was hilarious, tweeted a uh, graphic of Justin Fields, and it was he was like fifth on the list of five, and it was like, oh, now what? The funny thing is, though, you know the four other guys he was with? They were running backs. His only attributes are those that compare him with running backs, which is hilarious because if you call him a running back, how freaking dare you? But at this point, you might as well because that's all he's got. He's a running back. He's a good one, no doubt about it. But the I, I, And I've mentioned this before with the media, how, how obsessed they are with mobile quarter. And somebody had made some kind of a comment, and it freaked everybody out. I don't know if it was about Fields or somebody else. I think it was. No, you know what? You know what? I'll tell you exactly when I had talked about this in the past. And it's actually a fantastic parallel. Justin Fields is just a, a better version of this, but it's the exact same thing. Do you remember early in the season when, when all the rookies were brand new? Do you remember who I was talking about that everybody was obsessed with that I said, I don't understand the obsession? Anybody come to mind? Do you remember? For those of you that have been around for a few months, Malik Willis. Malik Willis was the obsession of NFL media. Everybody was absolutely obsessed with Malik Willis, and they could not get enough. And the fact that he was not starting in Tennessee was just befuddling to people. They could not believe it. And somebody had made a comment about how he should have thrown the ball there on a play where he ran for like 20 yards. He's got a guy wide open. He's got to throw that ball. And people freaked out. How dare you? How dare you? say that a quarterback should throw the ball when a wide receiver is open and not just rely on running all over the place all the time. How freaking dare you? Malik Willis was the second worst throwing quarterback of all the rookies. We don't need to talk about who's the worst. It's irrelevant. doesn't matter. And it's absolutely, probably, potentially not the guy that I've been super excited about for a long time. You, if you think that's relevant to the conversation, screw you, all right? But Malik Willis, it was Matt Corral. He was terrible, terrible at throwing the football. But he had so many people were obsessed with the guy. Brock Purdy was the highest graded. Do you even know who Brock Purdy is? Do you care? Anybody? Nobody cares because he doesn't run around. Kenny Pickett was a laughing stock. Bailey Zappi was a joke. Desmond Ritter, forget about it. Now, maybe a couple people liked him. Malik Willis, though, he is, he is everything. And there's this, this jump to defend mobile quarterbacks, too, because they get lumped in with running backs and they're supposedly not good throwers. And it's like, how dare you, except there's a really strong track record. And as I've said, that's my fear. Like, I would love to have a mobile quarterback in Green Bay. My fear is it's so hard to be a really good runner and a really good quarterback because I think being a really good quarterback is such an unbelievably difficult thing to be. And it requires a super-powered brain and that superpowered brain has to be working at 100%. How do you have a superpowered brain working at 100% capacity and also have the ability to keep in the back of your mind like I'm going to take off and run in these situations? Like it's just it's just too much, man. 
every single time you're looking at it thinking, you know, I mean, just going through your progressions is hard, but you have an additional progression called, I'm going to just get out of here and run. It's just hard. But the bottom line is Malik Willis ain't doing jack. And he went from like second string to third string to ninth string to 40th string. I think he worked his way up to second string, but he's, he's actually played three games so far this year. He has a 40.5 passing grade. He is 12 of 30, 40% completion rate. That is the worst thing ever. 12 of 30 for 141 yards, zero touchdowns, and a pick. Now, it's gone quiet on Malik because it's, I think it's become abundantly clear that it's the passing is such a liability that it can't be a thing right now. But the reason I'm bringing this up is this is where we're at with Justin Fields. The guy is still, still one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL. And when I say quarterback, I mean throwing the football. He is one of the most inaccurate Awful throwers of the football in the entire league, and I can back this all up and will by statistics. It's not that hard. It's all just sitting there. I mean, if you just do a cursory look, and I'm, we're going to do an in-depth look, if you do a cursory look, it's all just sitting there. But he's one of the worst throwers of the football in the entire NFL, and we're all, including Packer fans and Viking fans and everybody else, just supposed to drop down and go, he's really turned a corner. No, he's, he's worse than he was last year as a thrower. He has not improved at all. So let me just point out two very real things. Number one, the Chicago Bears do not have the quarterback of the future until he learns how to throw, right? It is a very dangerous thing, and you can do some serious damage with a mobile quarterback, right? No doubt. You can, you can embarrass the, the Packers, and you may if, if Justin Fields plays this week. I don't think he's going to, but if he does, very high probability he's going to embarrass the Packers. No doubt about that. And there's no doubt going to be a flood of what nows from people in my DMs that just can't understand basic information and what I'm trying to convey. You have to be able to throw the ball if you're going to be a proficient quarterback in the NFL. Not only is your, your lifespan shortened tremendously if you're running around so much. The guy's already banged up real bad. And that's not going to get better. It's not. You can't just, well, we're going to get a better offensive line. The offensive line has nothing to do with the fact that he holds on to the ball for four seconds per snap. Offensive lines aren't built to, to, to block for five seconds. It doesn't help the scrambling, anything he does beyond the line of scrimmage or outside of the tackle box. The, the offensive line has nothing to do with any of that. If he's inside the tackle box getting hit in 2.5 seconds or less, okay, fine, fix your offensive line. Which, by the way, can I just ask a question to the Bears fans that are here? Do you have a good offensive line or not? Because all I see all day on Twitter is bragging about the offensive line. And, oh, look at this Tevin Jenkins pancake, and look at this, and look at that, da 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 but the second Justin Fields is brought up, those guys get thrown under the bus so fast, right? Same thing with the wide receivers. Dude, Darnell Mooney, Darnell Mooney, this, this guy you picked up in free agency, like, oh, he's, he's legit. You just don't understand. And all these guys, you, you'll, you'll brag about them and defend them and do everything you can to twist and contort how good of a job they're doing. And as soon as Justin Fields comes up, up and up, trash, they suck. So Mooney, Mooney's trash. The running backs, apparently, I mean, I don't think you throw them under the bus, but I don't know. I keep hearing he has no weapons. I'm pretty sure running backs are weapons. What about Cole Komet? I thought he was emerging. Does that not count as a weapon? I'm sorry, but you can't have it both ways. Either you don't have an offensive line or any weapons, or you do, and it's kind of just, this is just what you expect moving forward. Maybe a little better, but it's not going to, I mean, if, if you've already got weapons, running back, tight end, and, and several offensive line pieces, I'm sorry to tell you, you're already like 70, 80% of the way to where most teams are. We got like two weapons and a half a good offensive line. You think it's going to get better than that? 
how many teams do you think have five really good offensive linemen and and like three really really good weapons? Nobody, not one. There's not a team in the NFL that has that. You have two running backs, a tight end, and two or three offensive linemen you like, and you think you have it like so much worse than everybody else. You don't. What do the Packers have? We got a running back, zero tight ends, pretty much one offensive lineman that we trust implicitly, and that's David Bakhtiari. There's there's a handful that we're comfortable with. And wide receivers, maybe Christian Watson has emerged as something, but that's about it. Why doesn't Rodgers get sacked 500 times in a game? And this, this is sort of, and we'll get into the statistics in a minute, but this is sort of my, my overarching issue is the idea that we can just automatically assume that things will improve. This, this is the thing you keep hearing about. Well, I mean, the throwing isn't great, but he'll get there. Excuse me. How do you know that? The guy's been bad at something for two years, and it's like, well, he'll figure it out. Says who? Since when? The amount of times people want to point out just uh, Josh Allen, Josh Allen is the exception to the rule. I've, I've already done this before, so I'm not going to do it again. If you go back and look at, at quarterbacks that, that were bad in their first year, and now we have two years of, of badness as a, as a passer, do you know how many of them became really good quarterbacks? It's, it's Josh Allen is like the only one. <laughs> there, there's nobody else. You say, well, what about Aaron Rodgers? Well, he didn't play for two years and suck. So th- this, is, this is the basic argument that I'm laying out. Yes, he's a good runner, but the Bears don't have a quarterback until Justin Fields can throw. Justin Fields can't throw, and we can't say, well, he'll figure it out as just a, an inference that we can make based on nothing. Most players don't turn out to be really good football players, even first-round picks. And every year, every game that they go without showing that they have that ability drives you closer and closer to the reality that is probably never going to happen. So again, to be very clear, before I get into the statistics that very clearly lay out that the guy can't throw the football very well, um, he may become a good quarterback. He is not right now. In order to be a good quarterback, you have to throw the ball well. Right now, Justin Fields is a dynamic running back. They're running wildcat in Chicago, and Justin Fields is the running back. And you cannot get from A to B to say that someday he'll become a good thrower just because that's just how that naturally happens. No, it's not. So let's look at a couple things. All right. Let's just let's go through everything. I've done this before, but let's just call it an update. You stop me when you hear one positive thing about Justin Fields. I think there's there's maybe one or two like big time throws or something, but it's still not even very high. All right, here we go. We'll start with PFF and then we'll move to SIS. Nobody likes PFF grades, but some people do, so we'll start there. Passing grades. Dead last is Zach Wilson, then Taylor Heineke, then Justin Fields. 52.2 passing grade. Justin Fields does not have a single game with a good passing grade, not one. 70. Not a single 70. His highest all year is a 63.5, which he got against Dallas in Week 8. 63.5 is the highest he's had all year as a thrower. That's unbelievable. Zach Wilson had a 79.7 passing grade against Miami in week five. Taylor Heineke, 71.5 against Philadelphia. He's played six games. Zach Wilson's played seven games. They have at least one good game. uh, Justin Fields has zero. Not a single time has he shown the ability to be really good at stuff. Now, he's consistently average to subpar. 
He's got one terrible game uh, in in the the quote-unquote monsoon game with a 34, and he's got a 48 week three against Houston. Otherwise, it's 50s and 60s. But again, 63.5 is his best. For the record, he's only had three in his entire career. Uh, Detroit week four, uh, Pittsburgh week nine, and then Minnesota week 15. 72, 88, and 78. 88 is his only like really good game that was against Pittsburgh in week nine. As a thrower, we're talking about. Baker Mayfield is the only other guy I can find that doesn't have one. His highest was 65. Um, Cooper Rush has an 82 mixed in. Uh, Mac Jones has an 86 in there. Jared Goff has a couple games, an 84.3 included in that. I'm just going from the bottom up. So Justin Fields and Baker Mayfield are the only two that have not done a single thing. Justin Fields is Baker Mayfield with legs. All right, so that's his, his grade. Not great. And it's not because he's got some really good games, some really bad games. He's just consistently subpar. How about completion percentage? He ranks 32nd out of 38. P.J. Walker, Russell Wilson, Joe Flacco, Cooper Rush, Baker Mayfield, and Zach Wilson are the only quarterbacks with a worse uh, completion percentage. Well, that's not fair. Justin Fields has had a bunch of drops, and that, and that, that doesn't count. All right, how about adjusted completion percentage, where we get rid of throwaways, we get rid of drops, we get rid of all the weird stuff, and it's just... Standing in the pocket, throwing the ball, how many times did you miss the throw? He ranks 31st out of 38. So it still sucks. In terms of yards, he ranks 27th out of 38, which is a lot worse when you factor in that the next player that has at least double-digit games played is Marcus Mariota, who ranks 23rd. So he's played 11 games and thrown 1,642 yards. The guys that have thrown less, like Kenny Pickett, Carson Wentz, Eight six six seven seven six seven three three five six. That's how many games they've played. So I'm not going to do the math on um, yards per game. Well, maybe I will. No, I won't. But he's he's at or near the bottom. Touchdowns, which was a big thing for Justin Fields uh, fans for a while. Bunch of touchdowns, right? He had a, a flurry of them between let's see, eight, nine, and ten. Two, three, two. Uh, he ranks nineteenth in passing touchdowns. Now, he's not bottom of the barrel, but that's certainly not a, hey, we've got the guy kind of stat, right? He's got 13 touchdowns. Aaron Rodgers in a down year has 21. He has one less than Tom Brady, one more than Jacoby Brissett. Interceptions, he ranks sixth, or if we do it from best to worst, he actually ranks uh, 28th with eight interceptions. It's not good. Well, Rodgers has more. I know. Sucks, right? It's not a good thing. That's why people are saying Rodgers is having a down year. But even with us saying, dang, what's going on with Rodgers? Rodgers is significantly better than Justin Fields is this year. And yet somehow we're supposed to look at it and go, Rodgers is washed and Justin Fields is, is him, is the truth, is whatever stupid nonsense. No, dude, he's bad. Big time throw percentage. And by the way, the actual big time throws matter, but as a percentage, he ranks 23rd, which is not good. Total big time throws, he's 23rd. So, again, subpar. Not a lot of big-time throws. What about turnover-worthy plays? These are balls that get thrown that should be picked off whether they are or not. He is the fifth worst. 4.8, no, 4.6% of his passes should be picked off. The only ones that are worse, P.J. Walker, Jameis Winston, Zach Wilson, and Taylor Heineke. Time to throw, dead last, 3.44 seconds. That's unbelievable. There's no way in the world you aren't going to get sacked a lot with that. 
3.44. There's five quarterbacks that are over three seconds, which is a long time. Marcus Mariota, Zach Wilson, Daniel Jones, Lamar Jackson, and Justin Fields. Lamar Jackson, though, as much as he holds onto the ball and runs around a lot and stuff, he's even at 3.11. 0.33 seconds longer than the second longest uh, ball holder, Lamar Jackson. That's way too long, man. That's way too long. The idea, well, he, he doesn't like scramble that much. It's mostly design runs. No, he's, he is number one by a mile in scrambles. I don't know if, if that's a prevalent Bears uh, fan thing. I've just, I've seen that before when it gets thrown at him. Like, you can't be scrambling that much. You're going to get hurt. Well, no, he doesn't scramble that much. No, he's, he's number one by a mile. Josh Allen is number two at 44. He has 55. First down passes, he ranks 23rd, just behind Russell Wilson. NFL passer rating, he ranks 26th. Deep passing, looking at his grades, he ranks 25th. Big time throw percentage on deep shots, he ranks 23rd. Turnover-worthy plays, however, he ranks 15th. 15th worst, that is. What about the question of being under pressure, though, right? Because he's under pressure a lot, and that's going to negatively affect how he looks on the field. Well, under pressure, he ranks 32nd, which is to say he is one of the worst quarterbacks while under pressure. He doesn't handle pressure well at all. Taylor Heineke, Trevor Lawrence, Kyler Murray, Mac Jones, and Zach Wilson are the only quarterbacks who perform worse as a thrower under pressure. He um, has completed 40% of his passes, uh, 30 of 74 for 536 yards, five touchdowns, five interceptions. Okay, well, if he's that bad under pressure, he's probably significantly better um, when he's kept clean, which supports my theory, get him better uh, support and everything, and um, he'll be a better quarterback, right? Among quarterbacks in a clean pocket, he ranks 29th out of 37. He is the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ninth worst quarterback in a clean pocket. He's got a 70 overall grade, which is fine. So, I mean, clearly, if he has better protection, he'll perform better because everybody's better when they're not under pressure. But he's not a really good quarter. I mean, understand, if he was top five, you'd have an argument. If he was top 10, you'd have an argument. If he had an 85, 90 overall grade while in a clean pocket, you could look at it and say, see, the issue is clear. It's pressure. It's not. He's barely decent when he's in a perfectly clean pocket. And he still holds onto the ball for 2.63 seconds in a clean pocket, which is the second slowest release. There's no pressure. He's still just holding onto the ball forever. Daniel Jones is the only one that holds onto the ball longer in a clean pocket. And again, the other issue about, well, if we fix the offensive line, that'll fix this. He ranks the fourth worst in pressures that are his own fault. 25% of the time when he's pressured, PFF blames him, not the offensive line. All that's going to happen, I mean, some of the pressures go down for sure, but that just means it's going to go up to like 33% or his own fault in the future. By the way, Lamar, 35%. He's number one. Mitch Trubisky's number two. What the heck are you guys doing over there? What are you teaching these guys? Looking at SIS now, they've got these handy-dandy tools here for catchable and on-target passes, which I really appreciate. They just judge where the ball was. Was it catchable? Is it as in, you know, you could throw it a little high, a little behind, whatever, but it's still still pretty much on the money. And on target is right in stride, right? Minimum 100 pass attempts is what I have this set to. Catchable passes. Justin Fields is second from the bottom. 77.9% of his passes are catchable. That is to say 22%, nearly one quarter of all his passes, are not catchable. When you look at it from that standpoint, that's crazy. Like it's it's not even 
it's so far in front, behind, over the player that that they couldn't, if they tried their hardest, get that ball nearly one quarter. Zach Wilson is the only one that's worse. For the record, 34 out of 38 are above 80%. 21 quarterbacks are above 85%. Like, it's just... Yeah, but what about on target? On target, he's dead last. 64.4% lower than Zach Wilson. His passes are actually on target. In other words, the ball's where it's supposed to be. 64%. 32 out of 38 are above 70. Aaron Rodgers is struggling. Yes, he is. He's 17th, right? Struggling for Aaron Rodgers means you're not a top 10 quarterback. That's, that's rough in any one category, right? Not top five, not top 10. You're 17th. That's kind of rough. This is a different kind of rough. We're, 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 we're not just talking about a guy that's missing a couple components here, but he's almost there. We're talking about literally, arguably, the worst quarterback in the entire NFL. And, I, and it's a hot take for me to say that he's not good. I know the guy can run. Who cares? Who cares? Okay, well, he's inaccurate because of pressure, so that's not fair. Okay, well, look, there's a little checkbox here. Was he under pressure? I'm going to say no, not under pressure. Catchable passes. Justin Fields is 39th out of 40. Jameis Winston is the only one lower on catchable passes. Justin Fields in a clean pocket, 80.1%. Jameis is 80.0. 20% of his passes in a perfectly clean pocket, he throws so poorly that it's not catchable. One in five with zero pressure, not catchable. What about on target? Dead last. Dead last with on target. In fact, Davis Mills is 39th with on target passes. He's at 70%. He's second from the bottom at 70%. Justin Fields is 65.8. It is a massive drop off down to Justin Fields. His accuracy, and again, remember, this is in a clean pocket that has nothing to do with the offensive line. This has nothing to do with the wide receiver. Nothing. You cannot blame the wide receivers for your inaccuracy. You are in a clean pocket. You are throwing a pass. Did you throw it on target? The second worst metric is 70% Davis Mills. Justin Fields is at 65.8%. So I think I've covered it. The guy can run. He's a talented runner. He is one of the worst throwers of the football in the entire NFL. Until he figures that out, I'm not going to call him a good quarterback because he's not. He is a accurate throwing running back, running wildcat in Chicago until proven otherwise. All right, um, why don't we take a break here? We'll come back and we'll cover the rest of the team, the team that'll probably be playing. But before we get there, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. If you'd like to support the podcast directly, you can also check out Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry. If you're interested in helping them, you can find out more information at fertilegroundranch.org. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, 
Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, so speaking of quarterbacks, we're going to get off of fields because, again, I don't know if he's playing or not. Interestingly enough, um, first of all, Trevor Simeon played last week. You want to talk about bad throwing quarterbacks. <laughs> um Justin Fields can't even touch Trevor Simeon as far as how bad that dude is. Um, Trevor Simeon is hurt. He has not practiced all week with an oblique injury. He didn't practice Wednesday, did not practice Thursday. I'm not sure yet about Friday because I haven't seen it yet. As a result, the Chicago Bears, believe it or not, have brought in Green Bay Packers legend Tim Boyle. So I guess we got to do a uh, a rehashing of Tim Boyle, and this is going to make a lot of Packer fans upset because for some reason... As we've said, there is a phenomenon, certainly in Wisconsin, but I believe NFL-wide, that has an obsession with third-string quarterbacks, and Tim Boyle was a third-string quarterback for some time. I know there are certain Packers podcasters that have obsessions with Boyle, and the belief is that he's a good quarterback and all that. Um, going to pretty quickly dismiss that. Boyle has seen regular season action uh, 2019, 2020, and 2021, but it was in 2021 where he actually got, like, actual real time, not, like, taking a knee for the Packers or anything. In his three-game stretch with the Detroit Lions, um, 61 of 94, 526 yards, which sounds great, right? Except three touchdowns and six, count them, six interceptions. And you say, yeah, well, I mean, it was a small sample size. You never know. I mean, he actually came in, looked pretty good. I thought he looked good for the Packers. He might be pretty good. He could be pretty good. He might be pretty good. Could be pretty good. You never know. You never know. Never know. Could be pretty good. Just a fluke. Have you seen his college stats? Tim Boyle continues to have the worst college stats in the history of all of college football. I don't know how he ended up in the NFL. It must just be all the other stuff that he has going on that's incredible. His college statistics. (laughs) This is incredible. (laughs) He was uh, 133 of 275, which is a 
career college average of 48.4%. His final year, or no, I'm sorry, his final year was 51%. It's, it's written backwards. So 48.4% is his average, which is terrible. 1,237 yards, 4.5 yard average, which is like running the ball. He threw one touchdown in three years. He threw 13 interceptions. 13. So if you pair his regular season college record and regular season pro record, he's thrown four touchdowns and 19 interceptions. Well, it's got to be so. Like, is he fast or something? Has he got like that crazy uh, 4 4 4 white guy speed? Nope, 4 7 5. 4 7 5 speed. So not a runner. Lots of interceptions. However, if the Packers don't get interceptions off of him, he might be a decently competent quarterback. <laughs> so it's a rough situation with their quarterback uh, quarterback over there. Let's take a look at, uh, move on to their offensive line. This, again, is sort of a point of contention, I guess. I think if you just ask most Bear fans, they'd say they have a bad offensive line, but that's mixed in with just a massive amount of bragging about how great these guys are. I, don't, I can't figure it out. Um, at left tackle, you've got Braxton Jones. Braxton Jones, um, again, even PFF, the other confusion I have is PFF actually kind of likes the offensive line of the Bears. So if I had to pick, I'd lean toward they're actually not that bad. I know there's there's some issues, right? I, I get, I fully acknowledge that things aren't super great. Braxton Jones has given up 32 pressures so far, but you know, overall 72.4 overall grades, 77 run blocking. Obviously they're all road graders. 65 pass blocking is not the worst thing in the world, but rookie fifth round pick, and yeah, he gives up a decent amount of pressures. He also has had uh, three, last three games in a row, he's had five total penalties in the last three games. He's had uh, five out of his last six games, he's had a penalty. Seven penalties in his last six games. So he's heavily penalized, probably lots of holding, probably because he's getting uh, beat around the edge. But not a lot of sacks, they're mostly hurries, is, is usually what he's given up. Probably because Justin Fields is able to evade them. But again, not a terrible pass blocking grade. In fact, since week seven, he's been quite solid. His grades have been 78, 74, 55, 77, 86, and 50. Those are his pass blocking grades. So he's doing a solid job for a rookie fifth round pick. At left guard, they have Cody Whitehair. Been around for a long time. Kind of the bane of uh, Bears fans' existence, I guess. At least he was early in the season. I don't even know anymore. But he has a 73 pass blocking grade. The run blocking isn't as good at a 60, but he's only given up seven pressures on the entire season. He's been kind of in and out with injuries or whatever, but um, he's been as solid of a pass blocker as you can get the last couple weeks. Again, the run blocking hasn't been great, but it's hard to complain about that too much considering how effective they've been. Um, At center, you've got primarily Sam Mustafer. Lucas Patrick was the guy, but Lucas Patrick was like doing a terrible job, especially pass blocking. Um, he had a 30.8 pass blocking grade. I don't know what happened when he went to Chicago. He was a solid player for us, but uh, he fell apart over there in Chicago. So losing Lucas Patrick is not an excuse for Bears fans because Sam Mustafer has been an upgrade by far. Um, he does have a 51.6 pass blocking grade, but that's after week four, he's been fine. He had a 1.5 pass blocking grade in week four and a 25 in week two against Green Bay. Since then, his lowest is a 40, but it's been 70, 40, 80, 80, 50, 60, 70, 70, basically, pass blocking. Um, the pressure's given up since that one really bad game, 2 0 one So one pressure 
he's given up in the last three games. Run blocking grade is a 70, so decent there. And then Tevin Jenkins, you know, again, um, a lot of Bears fans love the guy, and I think rightly so. He's doing a really, really good job. Um, I was trashing the guy all year because it was hilarious that the second round pick that they took is now like a third string tackle. And then they figured out, hey, this guy is uh, really good in a, in a phone booth, but not super great in space. So why don't we move him to guard? And that proved to be a pretty good strategy. Again, early on against Green Bay in particular, terrible game. He had a 22 pass blocking grade. Since then, though, he's been solid. His pass blocking grades, uh, 70, 50, 50, 70, 70, 60, 60, 70. He's never never given up more than two pressures in a game, and he's only given up two sacks the entire year. Now they've come, two of them have come in the last three weeks, but that's you know Dallas with uh, their obviously dominant what's his name Parsons, and then uh, the Jets who also have a pretty solid defensive line. This past week he gave up one, but only eleven pressures given up the entire season. Two sacks is all he's given up, and a very very good run blocker as you would expect. Eighty three point five. He's been really doing a good job. And then at right tackle, they've got Larry Borum. Now, Larry Borum is injured. He has a uh, ankle and knee injury. He has not practiced all week, I don't believe. Is he going on IR? But anyways, the, the real interesting thing here is not only is, is um, Larry Borum injured and, and unlikely to play, Riley Reef, the backup, is also injured and not expected to be able to play, which means the uh, Raiders' first-round pick, Alex Leatherwood, is actually expected to start. Now, Alex Leatherwood has been a bad football player. There's no question about it. I know Bears fans are excited about him. Uh, probably for similar reasons as um, Tevin Jenkins, but he's not going to be able to slide inside. He's going to be playing, presumably playing tackle. I don't know. Maybe they'll shuffle some things up outside of that. Maybe they'll try Tevin to tackle and Leatherwood inside. I would be fine with either, to be honest. In fact, I think that would be awesome because I'm pretty sure Tevin's going to be a subpar at best right tackle and Leatherwood would probably still fail as a guard. I don't know. We'll see how it goes, but um, Alex Leatherwood is likely to get the start there. So listen, honestly, in in my summary, as much as Bears fans want to throw their offensive line under the bus because it makes Justin Fields look good, um, I think it's a decent offensive line. And that's coming from a guy who was trash in the offensive line all year, right? When I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Now, they're not a great offensive line, but it's similar to the Packers. They're they're fully capable. Can you upgrade them? Sure. You can upgrade Borum. You can upgrade pretty much across the board, probably all of them. Uh, with the exception of Tevin, who you certainly want to at least hang on to and see how that goes, because he's a great run blocker. And if you can continue to improve, improve as a, as a uh, pass blocker, you've got a really dominant right guard there. But there isn't a bad offensive lineman in the entire group. I mean, Braxton gives up a lot of pressures. That's about it. And has a lot of penalties. That's about the, the biggest negative. But very few sacks. And, and listen, that, that is going to be a factor, because number one, our run defense is bad, and this is a great running offense in terms of their their physicality. But also, you know, the idea that they have this terrible offensive line, so we're going to get 50 sacks, I don't think that's true. I genuinely believe that a lot of the sacks and pressures come because of the quarterback holding out of the ball too long. And if Tim Boyle is going to get the ball out quick, our lack of tack pass rush against a very underrated Bears offensive line, underrated because everybody's throwing them under the bus, I don't know that pass rush, I'm not saying we won't get to the quarterback a couple times, but... Um, I don't know that it'll happen a lot. Moving on to their wide receivers, uh, which is, there's a lot of guys that have done a lot of things for the Chicago Bears um, this year. Eight different wide receivers have been targeted. Darnell Mooney, Equinemius St. Brown, Dante Pettis, Chase Claypool, Byron Pringle, Nikhil Harry, 
Valus Jones, and Amir Smith-Marset, and that doesn't even include, uh, there's a total of, let's see, 15, 16, 17 different people have been targeted. Tight ends Cole Komet, Ryan Griffin, uh, Trayvon Wesco, and Jake Tongas, I think. And then running backs, David Montgomery, Khalil Herbert, uh, Tristan Ebner, and Darrington Evans. They've, uh, they've had a lot of different people that they've thrown to, and a lot of you know guys coming in and then leaving and then injury and then new guy and then as far as just looking at receiving grades just to get out of the gate looking at um, competent good wide receivers two people have uh wide rec- receiving grades that are 70 or higher Byron Pringle is the highest it's a little bit of kind of you know his high grade is is up and down games and two of his games came prior to his injury so he played 3 weeks and then he was out until week 10 and came back but he had an 84.3 overall grade against San Francisco in week one, as 78 against um, Houston. Then he left a bunch. Then he came back Detroit 65, 56, and then 75 this past week. But if, if I had to say who the best wide receiver they had was, probably Pringle. The problem is nobody's throwing to him. Seven targets, five receptions, 57 yards, and a touchdown. Two targets, two receptions, 12 yards is... Uh, the most he's, well, I mean, two targets, one reception, 22 yards. If you're looking at yardage, it would be his biggest game. But this past week, two targets, two receptions, 12 yards, and a touchdown was probably his best game this year. So if you're just looking at grade, he's he's the best, you know, route running and catching and all that stuff. But they don't use him. So there's that. After that is Darrington Evans. <laughs> it's, it's the only other guy with a uh, receiving grade that's any bit good. Um, he's been a new addition since... Um, What's his name? Khalil Herbert went down. They brought in uh, Darrington Evans. So it is a very small sample size. We're talking one target, one reception, 33 yards is all he's really done. After that, Darnell Mooney has a 68 grade. uh, And then Chase Claypool with a 65, Nikhil 65, and it's down from there. In terms of usage, um, the most targeted guys, you got Darnell Mooney number one, which is not surprising. But as I'm sure Bears fans would even admit, he has had an unbelievably underwhelming season. Um, there was a lot of excitement because he went from a 67 overall grade to a 75. You know, he had his breakout year, right? Everything was going great. He cracked 1,000 yards. Only had four touchdowns, but it, it was a jump, right? From 600 yards to 1,000 yards, from a 67 grade to a 75 grade. Everything was just going in order. So it's like if he takes another jump, a third-year jump, he could be a premier wide receiver. Well, he went backwards. He's back down to his 68, 69 overall grade, uh, sub 500 yards so far and only two touchdowns on the season. Uh, he doesn't have a 100-yard game. His closest was week four, 94 overall grade, uh, 68 in week six. Since then, it's been 50, 70, 40, 50. And then in week 11, 29 yards and a touchdown. Week 12 against the Jets, zero targets, zero receptions, zero touchdowns. I don't know if he went out with an injury, uh, he says he ran 10 routes, which is low for him. It's about a half to a third of what he usually does, so he must have gone out at some point. But I do not I do not see him on the injury report, so I don't know. Whatever it was must have been pretty minor. By the way, the wide receivers right now, uh, I mentioned Dante Pettis. He's been out with an illness. I don't know how serious it is. I mean, usually when it's an illness, you're going to be good to go, but he hasn't practiced all week, or at least he didn't Wednesday, Thursday. Um, and then also Chase Claypool, who we haven't gotten to yet, but just so I don't forget... Um, he was limited with a knee injury on Wednesday, full participant on Thursday, so he should be good to go. 
But the next most targeted receiver on the team is tight end Cole Komet. Cole Komet has finally started to kind of turn a corner. It looks like right around week seven against New England. Um, well, there might have been two kind of jumps. The first four weeks were pretty rough. Then you look at week five, he kind of like had his first decent game. And then week seven, he had his first solid game. And it's been kind of off to the races since then, just looking at grades. 78, 65, 70, 80, 76, and then 57 this past week. They really struggled, obviously, against the Jets. But, you know, if we disregard that, um, there's been some some movement for Cole Komet. Now, some of this is his blocking ability and everything else, but even as a receiver, he went from basically no impact, didn't have a single touchdown. I don't think he had a touchdown last year either, so his first touchdown ever was Week 8, and then he had two in Week 9 and two in Week 10. He also has not cracked 50 yards all year. He had 74 against Detroit, so 74 yards and two touchdowns. So, I mean, he's not, you know, an elite tight end, but he's finally emerged as somebody that can, like, do stuff, which is great for them. Um, after that, you've got Equinemius St. Brown. He has 29 targets, 14 receptions, 195 yards and a touchdown. So, I mean, we're, we're kind of getting down already to the level of uh, who cares. Uh, David Montgomery has 25 receptions, 238 yards and no touchdowns. Um, Pettis, like I said, 188 yards, two touchdowns. Chase Claypool as a bear. Should look at that specifically. Um, he's got 15 targets, seven receptions, 83 yards, 64.9 receiving grade, which is about what he was in uh, Pittsburgh as well. It's, about, it's a little higher, but it's about the same. So, I mean, they, they spread the ball out a lot, but they don't they, they, they don't throw very much. And the only guy that's kind of getting a, a decent chunk of yardage would be Darnell Mooney, followed by Cole Komet. And after that, I mean, it's it's there's not much. And if we're just talking wide receivers, it's Mooney and nobody. He's got about 500 yards. Uh, the next highest at wide receiver doesn't even have 200. Cole Komet hilariously has become the touchdown guy guy who didn't have any prior to like week eight has five for the team. It's kind of funny that five is the most that anybody has because, you know, Christian Watson is more. But um, yeah, five and then two for Pettis, two for Mooney, and then one all the way down there, 14 total for the for the team. And then uh, rushing, the best runner on the team, honestly, is, is Justin Fields. He's not playing. After that is Khalil Herbert. He's not playing. Uh, the next highest rushing grade is Valus Jones. After that, Equinemia St. Brown. After that, Cole Komet. Then Dante Pettis. Then David Montgomery. I caught a lot of crap for talking trash about David Montgomery, too. Um, just in terms of, you know, I mean, he just doesn't do that good of a job. I did the similar thing to Montgomery. And the, again, as a Montgomery fan, as a guy that was a huge proponent, was furious when the Bears took him, he hasn't really produced that much. Um, and you can see Khalil Herbert is the better running back of the group. Now, he, he has good weeks, and he had a great week against Green Bay, 8.1 yards. And that was after that happened. I Everybody's screaming, you Montgomery haters, you bunch of losers, you idiots, 8.1 yards, now what? Now what? Well, after that was 3.7, then 1.7, then 4.5, 4.1, 3.5, 2.6, 4.1, 3.9. And he didn't crack five again until this past week against the Jets with 12, uh, week 12 with 5.6. But he only has three touchdowns, and he has a fumble. So four yards per carry, three touchdowns and a fumble. I mean, he's fine, but it ain't that great. I mean, he only cracked 100 yards once, and that was against Green Bay. And remember, he's the only running back right now. I mean, he, Khalil Herbert, who, again, is the better running back, is not there. There's no reason the guy shouldn't be getting 100 yards. So, you know, I mean, I can't talk trash and say we don't have to worry about him because our run defense is terrible, and he, his one big game of the year was against Green Bay. So certainly it could happen, but, but you know, 
Again, there's just a lot of narratives out there that I don't really buy into. Justin Fields is great. No, he's not. The Bears offensive line is terrible. No, it's not. David Montgomery is elite. No, he's not. Pretty much everything you hear about the Bears, the opposite is true. Montgomery's fine, and he's, he's talented, but, you know, he's not Aaron Jones. 400-yard games, 5.3 yards per attempt. And people will want to paint it as being close or possibly Montgomery being better. It, it's, it's a complete farce. Jones is a top-tier running back. Montgomery is a good running back. And, and pretty much every team in the NFL has a good running back. I mean, his four yards per carry is tied um, for 38th with Alvin Kamara and Daryl Henderson. 38th. That's, it's not, you know, <laughs> it's not very impressive. A.J. Dillon's got 4.3, and we're all sitting here going, what the heck is wrong with this guy? He's having a rough year, man. A.J. Dillon, come on, get it together. 4.3 yards per carry, two touchdowns. That's Montgomery. Just, you know, a little better than Montgomery. So, Anyways, uh, let's quickly turn over to the defense here. Look at what the Chicago Bears are working with. Obviously, this has been a pretty big disappointment, especially with all the injuries for the Chicago Bears. It went from uh, promising to we shipped off everybody, but that's fine because we're rebuilding, so it's going to be okay. To, you know, then the, then you lose Roquan on top of it and things start to fall apart, and then you get a bunch of injuries on top, and it's like, all right, dude, we're, uh, we get it, okay? We get it. It's bad. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it anymore. Again, jumping out in front so I don't forget later. Um, Kyler Gordon has a concussion, has not practiced. Uh, who else? Kendall Vildor was limited. And then Sterling Weatherford, linebacker, concussion, whatever. Before we move on, I don't know if I even mentioned this when I went through all the wide receivers and and their production. Darnell Mooney is on IR. I don't remember if I said that. So the point is, Darnell Mooney is like the guy, but he's not playing. That was meant to be an indication of how bad things are, not watch out for Darnell Mooney kind of thing. Anyways, uh, defense. um, There are only two players... I'll give them two. There's technically one if we're being super strict, but there are only two players on the entire defense with a 70 or higher overall grade. Jaquan Brisker at 69.9 and Eddie Jackson at a 75.8. So nobody's really great. But I remember, remember when I mentioned how bad that defensive performance was last week from the, from the Packers and how bad the grades were? That's just the Bears' defense for the season, period. Among players that have actually played a decent amount, four players, four, have a 60 or higher grade. That's unbelievable. Only one of them technically is in the 70s. Brisker with a 69.9. Eddie Jackson is on IR. So right now, as far as players that are playing, if we're being super strict with the grades, zero have a 70 overall grade. Every other person is below a 70. Aside from Brisker, every single starting player on this defense is below a 60. Kendall Vildor, 59.4 overall grade. Jalen Johnson, 58. Nick Murrow, 55. Al-Kadin Muhammad, I know we'll, we'll get to who's actually playing and who's not, but I'm just reading it. Al-Kadin Muhammad, 54.6. Roquan, 51.4. Matt Adams, 50.8. Jack Sanborn, who they're all super gack, jacked about being this great player, 50.7 overall grade. Dominique Robinson, uh, 47. Jalen Jones, 47. Travis Gibson, 46. Kyler Gordon, 46. Armin Watts, 46. Robert Quinn, 43, Mike Pinnell, 38, Justin Jones, 38, and Angelo Blackson, 33. Just to give you an overview of how bad it's been. And, and, and beyond that, the idea that it's like, well, you know, it's because we lost all our good players. Your good players are playing like crap. And your young players are playing like crap, with the exception of Jaquan. So there's, similar to the Justin Fields thing, there's no way to look at it and be like, yeah, but it's going to be good. Says who? According to what? 
who's going to be good later? The rookies that suck? Or the players that you don't know exist yet that you're going to draft later that you just magically know are going to be good? How many players, how many first round elite players are you drafting next year? Because you need all of them. Anyways, let's go position by position here. We'll start on the interior and work our way out. Looking at the defensive tackles. Number one defensive tackle on the team is Justin Jones in terms of just going by snap counts. Justin Jones is top dog on the interior. He has a 38.2 overall grade, 35 run defense grade, 60 pass rush. He has 17 pressures on 270 attempts, which is a bad number, and two sacks on the season. Doesn't have a sack since week five. So he's a terrible run defender that offers nothing as a pass rusher. Justin Jones, by the way, 26 years old. Sorry to tell you, he is kind of part of that future. He's not one of those old guys that's going to be getting... I mean, you can replace him, that's fine, but honestly, he's not one of the first ones that's going to get replaced. It's all the other guys on the interior that are going to get replaced, right? Armin Watts and Travis Gibson, or excuse me, Mike Pinnell and Angelo Blackson and Andrew Brown, like those guys go first. Justin Jones is your top dog right now. So you're, you're working on getting support for Justin Jones, which is a hilarious thing. Number two defensive tackle is Angelo Blackson. 33 overall grade, 29.4 run defense grade, 52.7 pass rush, four pressures on 191 attempts, which is putrid. You should be around 19 at a bare minimum. 19 is like, all right, he's fine, doing a decent job. He has four, four, zero sacks on the season. He doesn't have any sacks. He doesn't have a pressure since week nine. 29.4 run defense grade offers nothing as a pass rusher. That's the second time I've said that. These are the top two defensive tackles in Chicago right now. But just so you know, all we need is a better offensive line and some wide receivers for Justin Fields, and this team is ready to rock and roll. And, and probably like a pass rusher or something. <laughs> Come on, man. Come on. You guys believe in 2023 you're going to win a Super Bowl? Bears fans, you really think 2023 is your year? With what? Your quarterback can't throw a football. You need all new wide receivers, except maybe you don't because... You already got Mooney. He's not great, but I mean, why? Maybe figure that out before we just replace him. Honestly, if you want to fix your team, you fix the defense, which means your offense stays exactly like it is. But even that, you're not going to be able to fix all this. All new defensive tackles, all new edge rushers, all new linebackers, new corners. You got safeties. Congratulations. Anyways, let's continue. Sorry, I get sidetracked. Then we got 26-year-old Armin Watts, who was previously with the Minnesota Vikings, came over to Chicago. Um, He has a 42-run defense grade, which is significantly higher than his counterparts. However, the last three weeks, 49, 35, and 27. He has been putrid the last several weeks in his run defense abilities. Um, Pressures, he has 5 out of 162. For reference, he should have around 16. He has 5. He has one sack. It came, (laughs) he has five pressures in a sack. Two pressures in a sack came this last week. So prior to this week, he had three pressures and zero sacks. Jeez, these guys are just the worst. Then you got Mike Pinnell. Uh, I always liked Mike, former Green Bay Packer. Uh, He has a 36 run defense grade, four pressures on 97 attempts, which is about the highest pressure rate we've seen thus far and zero sacks. This might be the worst defensive line group in football. Now, again, remember, Packers offense looks really good when. When does the Packers offense come alive? Comes alive when a team can't stop the run. We pound the rock, and I think we're going to I think we're gonna run like freaking mad against this defense. I, I, I would be stunned if we don't hit 30 points in this game. I'd be stunned if we don't. Um, 
just because I think we're going to run like crazy, and I think that's going to open everything up, and 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 they can't cover anyways because they don't really have anybody. That's the defensive lines. All right, let's look at the edge situation. They have had a lot of different edge rushers play. Again, I'm going to go through all of them, but most of them is just going to be he's gone now. Um, the number one pass rusher for the Chicago Bears, Al-Kadin Muhammad. Now, this is another one, a lot of trash talk. Oh, he's going to be so good. He's coming over from Indy, blah, 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 blah. 54 overall grade, 56 run defense, 49 pass rush out of 200 attempts. Again, shooting for, you know, simple math here, shooting for about 20. He has 12 and one sack. His his one sack came week six. He's not had a sack since. This is This is terrible. You're a pass rusher. You're the number one pass rusher, and I don't think he's missed a single game. He has 12 pressures and one sack the entire season. This is horrific. And, and, and it, he, here's the issue. And this is, if, if I was a Bears podcaster, these are the kinds of questions I'd be asking. Not, oh, we just got to replace it. We just, oh, everything's fine. Just, just find better players. You try to find. Why is everybody playing so poorly? You can, you can keep bringing in new guys every second of every day, all day. But until you address why is this happening... I don't know that this gets fixed. Why is everybody so much worse than they're supposed to be? You got a new head coach that's a defensive-minded guy, and this is bad. Now, I mean, it's the first year, and they got to get implemented, but it's not new for Al-Qadin Muhammad. What's going on with him? What's that all about, man? Number two pass rusher, Travis Gibson, the only guy that has any amount of anything. He's a 2020 fifth-round pick, 21 pressures on 218 attempts, Congratulations, you are almost at 10%. He has two sacks on the season. Both sacks came against Green Bay in Week 2. He does not have a single sack outside of that game. Packers' offensive line has improved since that point. I don't expect him to get another two sacks or even one for that matter. I shouldn't run my mouth, but it's just statistically, uh, you know, looking at the odds, very unlikely. He has a 35-run defense grade. Everybody is so so bad against the run. They're also terrible pass rushers, but they're so bad against the run. 62.5 pass rush grade, and that's only because he had an 80 and a 90 mixed in there somewhere. But still, sub 10%, only two sacks. Doesn't have a sack since week two. These are your top two pass rushers, and you're talking four total sacks? After that, you got Dominique Robinson. Now, this is the guy that Bears fans were super excited about. 2022 fifth-round pick. It's sort of our Kingsley and Igbari. It's their fifth-round pick pass rusher. Real promising in the preseason. He has a 38.2 run defense grade. Horrific. That's terrible. Putrid. Their average has to be like a 30 run defense grades. It's unbelievable how bad they are. 11 pressures on 183 attempts. Well below. Well below. I mean, he's, what is that, 6%? That's trash. He has three sacks, doesn't have a single sack since week three. Does this team have sacks? Who's getting all the sacks? Are you serious? What is this? Somebody has to be getting something. This is insane. After that is Robert Quinn, who has not played since week seven. He, uh, he had 14 pressures in a sack by week seven, so he was even sub 10% up to that point. So clearly a good decision to get rid of him because he's offering you nothing, but jeez. Um... After Robert Quinn, uh, you have Kingsley uh, Jonathan. He just kind of pops in occasionally to fill in for people. He hasn't played since week 10. Don't expect him to play because I don't think there's any other injuries. Also, uh, Taco Charlton, he's been brought in the last two weeks. He has played just limited snaps, just I guess as sort of a new, I don't know, it's very similar to what we did with, uh, I don't know, like Jonathan Abram or whatever. Just a big name that we're going to bring in to see if he can like do stuff. 
He's been a rotational guy for a while, played for Dallas for two years, then Miami, then Kansas City, then Pittsburgh. Now he's in Chicago. But he's got a 53 overall grade. He played nine snaps. He's a pure pass rusher. They put him in on pass rush situations. And um, in his nine attempts, he has zero pressures and zero, well, obviously zero sacks. Um, The only other person to take a snap off the edge is Jerry Green. He played four snaps in week 10, uh, two pressure attempts. He got zero pressures, two run defense things. He didn't, he didn't do anything. So incredible, absolutely incredible. The, um, complete lack of anything, run defense, pass rush, anything. Um, moving to linebackers, the number one linebacker is Nicholas Morrow. This is their top dog now, now that Roquan is officially gone. Nick Morrow, uh, 27 years old, 2017 undrafted free agent. He has a 46 run defense grade, so we haven't even gotten to a 50 yet. This is like their best run defender, and he has a 46 grade. Um, 54 tackling grade. He has a 13.7% missed tackle rate, uh, 58.4 pressures. Uh, he has five pressures on the season, nothing since week 10. 63.5 coverage grade, so average in coverage. But again, terrible against the run, which is really where we're going to focus. Number two would be Roquan. He's been gone since week eight. That leaves Jack Sanborn to be the next man up again. A lot of excitement about Jack. And, and you know, Packer fans want to like him too because he's a badger. So it's kind of that Packer fans aren't going to say anything bad about him because they want Jack to be a thing. And, and Bears fans obviously already think he's a thing. And, he's, you know, he's a physical Wisconsin guy. No question about it. I've seen some of the highlights. I remember last week watching him and seeing him. I think he just lit a guy up or something. And it's like, dang, man, that's that's crazy. And, of course, it's like, oh, yeah, there he goes. That's our dude. He's really good. 47 run defense grade, 52 coverage grade. He does have an 80 pass rush grade. He has five pressures on 12 attempts and two sacks. So they've been bringing him a little bit, and he's been uh, able to get some some pressure. He didn't get anything against the Jets, but uh, three pressure attempts against Atlanta. All three he had pressure. A hit and two hurries. So they're very effective in bringing Jack Sanborn. I don't know what 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 the difference is between teams that are effective and you know the Packers. <laughs> uh, third linebacker would be Mr. Joe Thomas. He might even be higher. I'm not positive. Who knows how much they're going to play who, when, where. But uh, Joe Thomas has a 63 run defense grade, which is the highest of anybody on this entire team. Uh, But his snaps have gone down since they've been bringing in Jack Sanborn. Also the last two weeks, 43 and 53 in that that range. He has a 57 coverage grade. Uh, Joe Thomas obviously been around for a long time. Um, He was a Green Bay Packer for three years. Then he went to Dallas, then Houston and Baltimore, and now he's in Chicago. So you know Joe. And then finally is Matthew Adams. He's been playing a little bit the last two weeks. They've been obviously mixing and matching a ton. Uh, his, his biggest contributions have been the last two weeks. He has uh, 56 run defense grade, although the last two weeks, 49-53, and then a 45.8 coverage grade. So he can't stop the run. He can't cover, which is standard for every single person on this defense. Looking at corners, got six of them here. First is Kyler Gordon. Kyler did not practice or play last week. Uh, He's been out all week with his concussion thing, so I don't think he's going to be playing. That is their number one corner in terms of snap counts played so far this year. He's their second-round pick. Uh, He has a 43 coverage grade, so it's been a rough rough year for Kyler Gordon. There was a a brief stint where they thought they had kind of figured it out, and it was... was, uh, you know, week five, week six, or whatever, he started to show a little bit. And they're like, oh, man, here he comes. And then he just right back down into the two. And now he's out with a concussion. After that, you got Kendall Vildor. 
And by the way, I think the way that this works is you're going to have Kendall Vildor and Jalen Johnson as your number one and two corners. And then Jalen Jones is going to be, there's so much, so much confusing. I get these guys confused. You got Jalen Johnson, Jalen Jones, and for some reason, Kyler Gordon, I get mixed up in that too. Don't know why, but Jalen Jones is going to be taking over for Kyler Gordon to be the new slot guy. But anyways, Kendall Vildor, um, he has a 63 run defense grade of 58.8 coverage grade. However, he's been going real, real, real down the tube since about week seven, eight ish. His run defense since week eight, 44, 50, and 32. His coverage, 63, 28, 67, and 30. Vildor gave up two touchdowns in this past game and had a 29.2 overall grade. That's two weeks after having a 20. Well, he didn't really play much against Miami, so I can't really trash him for that. But he had his worst game of the year against the Jets for sure. But uh, Jalen Johnson is the guy, very similar to Darnell Mooney. He took a jump, quote, air quotes there. From a 54 to a 64, Jalen Johnson, one of the premier corners, going to be so good. Second round pick going into his third year. Just watch. It's going to be crazy. He has a 58.7 overall grade. Um, he has a 53 run defense grade, a 42 tackling grade, and a 62 coverage grade. He's given up a touchdown, has no interceptions, and four pass breakups, 102.7 passer rating when targeted. So that's Vildor and Johnson, the last two we talked about. That's Those are the two top corners on this team. After that is Jalen Jones, their slot corner. Uh, again, he's been playing kind of since like week nine-ish. The last three weeks, 57, 63, and 54 have been his grade. 45 run defense, 51 tackling, and a 51.4 coverage grade. He has not given up a touchdown, but doesn't have a single interception or pass breakup. 103.9 pass rating when targeted and two, and two penalties on the season. So to quickly summarize before we get to the safety, the defensive tackles have got to be some of the worst in football. They cannot get to the quarterback, and they are putrid against the run. The edge rushers cannot pressure quarterback and suck against the run. The linebackers are, we'll call them mediocre, but they're not great. Probably closer to subpar in every category, probably a little better in coverage than, than run defense, but it's just across the board. The corners are bad. They're average at best across the board. The safeties are pretty straightforward. It's Eddie Jackson and Jaquan Brisker. A uh, little way further down the list would be DeAndre Houston Carson. So for reference, Eddie Jackson, 697 snaps. Jaquan Brisker, 675. DeAndre Houston Carson, 96, right? However, as I mentioned, Eddie Jackson is on IR now. And Jaquan Brisker is out with a concussion. I don't know if he's going to be out of the game. Let me refresh this to see if they've updated this yet. I doubt it. Um, but he, he hasn't practiced all week with a concussion. So both safeties are potentially out of this game. That would leave, well, let's, let's look at Brisker just in case he plays, because I don't know. Eddie Jackson, again, the only player with a good grade on the team. Jaquan would be the uh, other one that's close. Jaquan Brisker, 62 run defense grades, 47 tackling grade, and a 70.4 coverage grade. Um, he's given up two touchdowns, has one pick and one pass breakup, 95.4. Uh, passer rating when targeted. The the high grade, by the way, is a little bit iffy because it's mostly just a couple of, of good games. He had a 77 coverage grade against Houston and an 82 against New England. Everything else has been 50s and 60s. If he doesn't play, you're talking DeAndre Houston Carson. 51 run defense, 67.9 coverage. He hasn't really done very much. His, his only time playing a significant amount was this past week against the Jets. He's listed as a... As a um, Strong safety, a little bit of a slot corner in, in week seven. So he's going to be playing some potentially free safety stuff. I don't know. The uh, other safety 
on the team is Elijah Hicks, who is a 2022 seventh-round pick. Uh, His first action was Week 12, due to all the injuries, obviously. He had a 47 overall grade in that game on 39 snaps, 59 run defense, a 47 coverage grade. He gave up a touchdown and uh, no picks, no pass breakups, 158.3 passer rating. So this is this is, and and I, I I don't mean this to be hyperbole. This might be the worst defense in football right now. They don't have a single thing that's good on this team. Nothing on this on this defense. Not a single thing. Um. So let me put it this way: If the Packers don't get to thirty points, that sucks. Like really, 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 really bad. And it's also really, really, really bad. If Tim freaking Boyle puts up 30 points on the Packers, which is to say we should win this game. There's no question. In fact, if Jordan Love played and we didn't win this game, I would be beyond shocked. There's no, I mean, I shouldn't say shocked. I I could see a scenario, of course, where the Packers lose, but in terms of there's no excuse for this. They, They have nothing. They have nothing. The only things that they have on this team that are any bit of anything are hurt, right? They don't have any good wide receivers, but the one that's decent is out. They don't have any good defenders, but the only two that they have are their safeties, and they're both out. One of them's on IR. The other one's dealing with a concussion, hasn't practiced all week. I'll tell you what, if, if Joe Barry does anything else other than just sell out against the run and force them to throw the ball, I'm going to be furious. That's the only thing the Bears can do in this game is run the ball, and they don't even have Justin Fields, so they won't be able to do that as much because Khalil Herbert, who's the better runner, isn't playing. So it's Montgomery behind a, an offensive line. It shouldn't be the same elite dominant rushing attack that it has been, although that's literally what it was last time. We knew Montgomery was going to run the ball. That's all they did. He did it, and he just got eight yards of carry. But that that's the bottom line. Joe Barry needs to prove that he can stop the run when you know that that's literally all they can do. And the Packers need to score 30 points because there's, there's no reason why you can't. You should run for a billion yards in this game and throw to whoever you want whenever you want. You get as many yards and as many touchdowns as you want. There's no excuse for anything other than that. And you know what? If, if Tim Boyle hits a couple play action because we're selling, selling out too hard, oh well. Guess what? Jair, Amos, Razul, you guys want to prove that you're not completely washed and, and, and just useless? You're going to be put on an island because we're going to stop the run. So when this quarterback who's thrown 50 billion interceptions starts lobbing up balls in your general direction to wide receivers that can't do anything, the expectation is that you do a good job of making sure they don't catch those passes, okay? That's the whole thing. And yes, we should be playing a lot more man coverage because this guy isn't going to take off and run. We should also be blitzing a ton because, again, we can leave our, our, our DBs on an island. So we stack the box, we bring extra pressure, and we just, we just destroy this team, period. There's no excuse for anything else. And that's coming from a fan of a team that watched them just be kind of terrible. I don't care. This isn't the Titans. This isn't the Titans' defense. This is the exact opposite of the Titans' defense. And this isn't Philadelphia's offense. It's not Dallas's office. We we have ugh. ugh. Anyways, leave it at that. You guys have yourselves a fantastic day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye bye.